City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You are listening to Inside the Hive on the All Hornets Podcast Network. One podcast feed with multiple shows, making sure we cover the Charlotte Hornets from every single angle. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, find us on YouTube. The All Hornets Podcast is affiliated with the Fans First Sports Podcast Group. Today's show, we're going to be touching on some of our kind of big picture pre-deadline thoughts ahead of the trade deadline, just over a week away now. Touching on some of our brief reactions to Terry Rozier because it's been just over a week since we last spoke and Rozier was a Hornet last time me and Chase spoke. And then sharing our thoughts on some of the recent rumors regarding Miles Bridges and also sharing one trade machine deal that we like uh, right at the end of the pod. So make sure you stay on for that. Uh, Chase, how are you doing living in the Charlotte Hornets world with no Terry Rozier? Like I said, the, the trade happened, I think, on Tuesday. We recorded Monday. Um, how has your first Rosilis week been? It has not been great. I mean, to be honest, like my following of the Hornets has almost directly coincided with the entirety of the Terry Rozier era. Like I caught on to following the Hornets like the season before he got there. And then that summer they traded Kemba Walker for Terry in a sign and trade. And like he was already one of my favorite players in the league. And that just made it even more so. But over the last you, like five not, years, this is a way of telling me that you're not exiting from shot following the Charlotte Hornets as well. Now, right, <laughs> exactly. We're only a minute and a half into the podcast, but this is the last minute and a half that everyone's going to hear from me. With Terry Rozier uh, being a Miami Heat, I'm gone. Goodbye. No, I'm I'm, I'm just <laughs> kidding. You, you wish you got got rid of me that easily, but yeah, it's it's been sad almost. Like he he's like one of my favorite players in the league to watch, and it sucks that he is now on another team, much less the Miami Heat, who are not the the fondest in pretty much any Hornets fan's eyes, much less my own. So it is it has been tough, but I, I understand it from a basketball perspective. So at least there's that. Yeah, it, it feels much longer than a week away. It feels like we moved on from Terry's here like a month now. Like it's it's quite strange. Obviously he's played multiple games for Miami. The Charlotte have looked pretty terrible. Like there was obviously the height of that Minnesota game. Um, and then he's gone basically the next day. And since then, it's just been a slog for anybody watching this team. Um, but, I mean, I know other people have already touched on Terry's ear on the, on the previous podcast, so we're not going to touch on it long. But, I mean, I think I need to see the Kyle Lowry next next move like to before I make final judgment. Like They obviously felt like they could get something for Kyle Lowry. I don't see any other real reason to, to make that trade now rather than the deadline. I, I worry that if they can't move Lowry, then you actually would have got more value for Rozier at the deadline when you had a bit more of a bidding war, other teams chasing him, teams missing out on DeJounte Murray who might turn to Terry Rozier. So it's all all yet to know how it plays out. But I mean, I was very public. I, I had a Miami Heat podcast where we looked at a Rozier trade and our starting kind of negotiating position was a first plus Jovic. And then I think it was like, I, I think that seems to be the middle ground. And then do we add or take away? And it definitely seemed like a better deal for Miami than I was expecting if there was going to be a Rozier um, Miami trade. So the only thing I will say is the unprotected nature of that pick in 2028 
definitely gives like an interesting edge. Um, you know, if, if I would think we were getting two firsts from Miami, like that's something that I was talking about, I was probably expecting those firsts to be top 10 protected, something of that nature. Like I wasn't expecting to get an unprotected pick just because you don't get them that often in the NBA these days, like trading away unprotected firsts. Um, so, I mean, if I put this to you, Chase, would you prefer Nikola Jovic to be in that deal? Or would you prefer that pick to be top 10 protected? Which way would you have it? Mm, that's actually really tough. I'd probably rather have it the way we got it now, to be perfectly honest. I think I, think I agree. How much of a believer I am in Nikola Jovic, I think, is probably the bigger influence on that. But, I mean, like, and you, you made a good point there a couple of minutes ago. Like, you just don't get unprotected picks in trades that often in the NBA nowadays, especially not for somebody that's not like a bona fide all-star all NBA player. Like Terry's not only never been an all-star. It is protected in 27, lottery protected, then unprotected right. in 2028. So it's got a chance to be unprotected. Just make sure we get the detail right there. Right, exactly. So even, even if they don't get it in 2027, say Miami, that's like their last year as a contender or whatever, 2027, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, all those guys will be a lot older by then. Come 2028, that could be a really valuable pick, and it's totally unprotected if that ends up 1, 5, 10, wherever, the Hornets are going to get it. So, And by then, hopefully, the Hornets have built a pretty good team for themselves, and that will just be like an icing on top of the cake kind of asset that they get, like maybe like what Boston got when they had that uh, top 10 pick from the Nets and traded it what became Colin Sexton for Kyrie Irving. Like, you could maybe be putting yourself in that type of position a couple years down the line. It's hard to yeah. predict that now, but I mean, that's what you want to put yourself in position to do as a team like the Hornets that's going for a reset here and just stop restocking the cupboard as much as they possibly can. I think they did an okay job at that, at least. Yeah, okay. That's where I'm yeah. at at the minute. Like, it, it, pretty, could pretty work out it could work out great. Like, I don't think Miami's, like, future look looks particularly bright when you look at compared to other teams around the NBA, like Jimmy Butler is 34, I think now, like he's going to be, what, 37 in 2027. Uh, they don't have much draft equity left to move. Um, you know, I don't see like Hero or Adebayo or Hawkeyes being guys who necessarily like carry teams to the playoffs just by themselves. So it'll be interesting to see for sure. But Miami always find a way of being good. They have uh, Eric Spolstra, who will get the most out of his team no matter what. Um, but yeah, to be confirmed on the Rosier deal, um, I think I would give it like a C, uh, something of that nature, like for now. But yeah, it will definitely be interesting. I saw like Tyus Jones, apparently is not, they're wanting to get a first for Tyus Jones. I mean, if a team, if the Wizards get like an equivalent first for Tyus Jones at the deadline, then I'm going to be like getting the pitchfork out being like, Terry Rozier could have got more. So let's see how it plays out. Um, but one thing in terms of bigger picture thoughts, I do understand the thought process behind the Rosier deal. And that's why, you know, we talked about it on the podcast previously. It's a logical step. Um, it's what they should have done before the season, before Kemba left. They should have moved him, you know, taken on bad contracts, tried to trade for draft picks. Um, and it seems like they're finally acknowledging to do that. Um, uh, you know, Mitch Kupchak has been aware of using the, the term rebuild. I mean, I, I think the only reason he doesn't want to use rebuild is because they're keeping Mark Williams, Brandon Miller and the Mellow Ball. I think everything else. So call it a retool. Um, do you think this is the right decision to, to go down this route where we are right now? I think you kind of have to say yes, in a way, if you're somebody that thinks that this team does need that retool and reset the roster, like both on the court and from a locker room perspective, and not to say Terry was in any way a problem in either of those regards, but if you're going to make changes, you got to make changes. I've said that many times on this podcast and that this is kind of the first step and is easily the biggest domino to fall because Terry is unarguably the player that you can trade and get the most in return for, unless yeah. you're going to trade like Miles unless or Brandon Miller or Mark, but you're not going to do that. You're retooling instead of rebuilding. So you kind of have to move Terry. There was really no other option. It was now down the line at some point. It, it was just going to happen. If this was what they found was the best value, they don't think that they were going to get more out of it by waiting to the deadline. Then yeah, I mean, the, this, this is the move that you have to make. And as long as it, you know, precedes other moves that continue the process that you've started with trading Terry, that is totally fine. And 
I completely understand it, but it it, it definitely like I, I still agree with you that there would have been a role for him on the team down the line if they kept him. But from a basketball perspective, it makes perfect sense to move on. Yeah, in the world where I you know I've talked before about him still having a role on the team, I was a, kind of under the feeling that new owners wouldn't want to come in and rebuild straight away. They'd want to come in and try and you know be competitive next year. So if there were to be changes made, but would still be like trying to put together a good basketball products on the court for next year i just can't see that now being something that they're wanting to do this is like they're happy to bottom out basically for another year that's what this move tells me unless they like reinvest that 2027 pick this offseason straight into another player that's possible but it's certainly not the way it sounds like with the reporting ironically this is like the first time i think the charlotte hornets have been universally praised by like nba analysts and reporters on the trade that they've made and like me and you are a bit like, eh, you know, which, uh, and, and like, we are pretty, we are not this, the Hornets bias people. If you want to find that, you can go find a lot of people out there. We're pretty, you know, we, we talk pretty straight. Um, but I do find it interesting that they're prioritized getting a pick here. And my sense going to this deadline is, you know, why would you have Mitch Kupchak handling your trade deadline when he's not going to be here moving forward? Okay, that's the question I've I've asked. I've seen other people ask. And this is my theory, and tell me what you think. That Mitch Kupchak is basically there to like sell everything off. He is there to gather assets, to gather currency for the next incoming front office. Um, and that's why I think you are going to see picks coming to Charlotte as opposed to like trying to target players. So, for example, Quentin Grimes is a guy who I think is interesting. He's on the trade market. What if your new front office and coach you bring in, you know, their philosophy does not have someone like Quentin Grimes. They want, you know, every single guard to be able to like handle the ball and play point guard who plays minutes or something of that nature. Or they want to be everyone to be six, six or over. Like he just doesn't fit. So why would you make that trade now? I think Mitch Kupchak is probably under orders to say, we want the currency of picks for that new front office to use as and how and when they please and we want you to, you know, any players coming back is simply for salary purposes. We don't want you trying to add to the Charlotte new core around the Mello and Brandon now. Because if they start to do that, I just don't see why you'd have this front office making those decisions. So that's my theory. I completely agree with that. Like, if you had to rank, you know, players, expiring contracts and picks in terms of the priority that the Hornets front office is placing on them right now. I think picks would be one expiring contracts would be number two. And then there's probably a pretty sizable gap between expiring contracts and players being easily the bottom priority right now, because like you said, we have no idea what the new front office, new coaching staff, new scouting staff, new player development group, what we're, what they're going to be looking for out of these players. Like obviously you can assume that they're going to like LaMelo, Brandon Miller, Mark Williams, the really high-level guys that have been highly drafted and have proven themselves to a certain degree over the first couple of years of their career. But like somebody like Quentin Grimes is not like a proven, bona fide, like high-level NBA rotation player, or else he would not be on the block for the Knicks right now. Like he's like at best like a seventh or eighth guy on like a really good team right now. And you don't like force those types of players upon a new staff that a you don't even know who they are yet and b you want to allow them to come in and kind of put their own fingerprints on the team this summer in the same way that the owners are trying to do for themselves right now as the deadline approaches and as we get into this first year with them really being able to hold the reins of the team like i think they're probably looking at it the same way from like an on-court perspective as they are for themselves as owners like let's just clear the books get assets and then whoever we hire can come in and do what they want to do with that yeah, and, and for like anyone like Grimes, you're going to have to give up assets, right? right? You're going to have to give up someone of value. So it's not like you're just taking them off the Knicks' hands for free. Like, you're going to have to give something up. Um, you, you talk about freeing up the Bucks. I kind of disagree a little bit. I think they're going to look to add some big salaries here to get picks back. Um, I don't think they're going to go into the offseason with 45 million of space. I think that is a temporary thing while this Lowry-Rosier trade has been made. And I would not be surprised if they use the Hayward or Lowry contracts. To, and I asked Mitch Kupchak about it in the press conference after the Terry's ear trade. I said, you know, could Charlotte take some salary on long-term to gather more picks? And he said, just absolutely, that's something that could happen, was his quote. So that that's one thing I think they could add 
some like long, big contracts, which are, you know, bad contracts. Um, ben Simmons has been mentioned out there. Andrew Wiggins, you know, guys of that nature. Um, I think they could take some of them on for picks. And hey, I would be opposed to it necessarily. Like at this point, and that's something that we've kind of been wanting the Hornets to, to do for a long time, right? Yeah. Like there have been many, many occasions in which they've been able to do that or had the opportunity to be that team that absorbs these bad contracts in exchange for picks, and they haven't done that. So it's the Gordon Hayward year. That's right. instead of doing that, they they signed Gordon Hayward. Like, and they had all these options with that cap space to take on picks to take on players for picks and instead went the other way and i just can't see this team making the same mistake this summer we're going with 45 million and being like nick claxton 25 million per year here you go like tobias harris 50 million dollar contract is going to hit like a shotgun to the chest on that 1202 a.m on july 3rd (laughs) yeah um so I mean, what I will say is I think we've finally been proven right of what we said post-trade deadline last year, almost a year to the day, where we said that Mitch Kupchak was all in on everybody else being wrong, that the team when healthy would be good enough. And we said last year, the team hasn't been healthy, but you can tell from looking around, looking at the players, looking across the league, that even if they were healthy, they'd be like a ninth, tenth seed at best. And the ceiling is is not there. The players don't complement one another as much as they said. Um, And like even more so than even probably I thought, like I have to take some L's, right? Like I, me and you were big on the over this regular season. Like I I bet a good, you know, three figures on the over uh, for wins this season because I didn't think injury luck would be the same. And I thought they'd be like a mid thirties team, like out the playing or borderline playing. So it's even way worse than I thought. And I have to own that. Um, and I take responsibility for that. But I was more right than Mitch Kupchuk was in terms of bringing everybody back on this team, um, which we said last year after the trade deadline, that is not going to be, that is not enough for this team. Okay. Um, next up, we're going to move on to our main section here. Miles Bridges. Been a lot of rumors. Chase, I'm going to read a few of them here. A lot of reports about Miles Bridges' future. First, I think Jake Fisher reported from Yahoo Sports that the Jazz are one of several teams who called to express interest in Miles Bridges, along with Detroit and Phoenix. He also writes in the same piece that there was league-wide skepticism that Hornets would be able to retain Bridges, but now they have newfound flexibility, creating as much as $45 million in upcoming cap space. It could push an interested team into trading for him now as opposed to leaving Bridges available to re-sign with the NBA club he's only known. Interesting tidbit at the end there. Also, in Phoenix, there's been two reporters, Dwayne Rankin of the Arizona Republic. He wrote, Suns confirmed to the Republic. The Suns are interested in Charlotte Hornets forward Miles Bridges. Um, the Suns aren't just looking at Bridges. They have 10 or more other players on their radar. And then Gerald Bourget from the Phoenix Suns also said, as first reported by Phoenix Suns podcast, um, the Suns' interest in Miles Bridges is very real. It's been confirmed by multiple outlets, and where there's that much smoke, there's typically fire. Now, that all kind of came out in the period of two days, and then Miles Bridges went public with a quote to the Charlotte Observer, shout out Rod Boone for the Charlotte Observer, and he wrote, Like I said before, the Hornets have been behind me and I want to stay here. I want to stay here and that's never going to change. So as much as talk as people have that's going around, I just want to know, I I want people to know I want to stay with the Hornets. That's a lot of whirlwind since we last spoke. (laughs) You know, reports from multiple teams, multiple outlets, then Miles Bridges coming out publicly, you know, saying to the Observer, I want to stay. What do you make of this situation? It's a complex one. It definitely is. I've kind of been saying all year that like I don't really know what his value is as a player just due to the myriad of off-court situations, both the legal situation and his contract status having taken the qualifying offer. But now, I mean, I think it's at least getting slightly clear that like the Hornets are not going to get commensurate value probably for a player that averages 20 points per game and is definitely has his flaws but is able to – you know, offer you some extremely positive offensive things that Miles can do. It's probably going to be like a couple seconds and salary filler kind of seems like the middle ground value for him right now, unless 
like Jake Fisher said, there's some sort of bidding war that develops among the teams that want him, which I kind of don't picture that happening just because he can control where he goes. Like I could kind of see him, I mean, if this is a discussion that's had between his camp and the Hornets front office being like, okay, I don't really want to go to Utah. Uh, if I'm going to be traded, I'd like to go to the Phoenix Suns where I can contend for a championship, resign and be alongside Beal Booker and Kevin Durant. Like, I'd rather just go there because he has the ability to do that. So I, I can't really see there being a bidding war because he can d- pretty much directly steer himself to whatever team that he wants. But then again, like that at least will drive up his value, even if it makes it so that he, even if he only wants to go to this one team, like they're going to have to give up something more than what they probably would have if the Hornets were to trade him, you know, three months ago or over the summer or anything like that, like in the past up leading up until now. But it seems like, with his on-court play and just with everything being further in the past, right or wrong, like teams are kind of moving on and being more willing to at least share that they're interested in him rather than there just being no rumor of the sort other than the fact that the Hornets were going to resign him, which was the case for most of the past year and a half. Why do you think you talked about that middle ground of value, which seems to be salary filler in two seconds. I've seen that as well. Why do we think that's established? Why has this become the middle ground? I've got my own theory, but I'm curious to see what you say. So I think that it's because when you're the team that's trading for him, you don't have his bird rights. So no matter what, like you can't give him the contract that A, he probably wants, and that B, the Hornets are able to give him right now. So you're kind of knocking off like whatever level of interest that he has in being there anyway, because he can't take the same type of contract that what he'd get right now with Charlotte in going forward. It seems like he's going to want to make pretty good money. So I think that those teams know that there's a decent chance that even if they sign or trade for him, tell him they're going to resign him, offer him a commensurate value contract. He's still probably going to test free agency to some degree, which just opens the door for him to leave at some point. So I think that's going to knock a little bit off and, Obviously, he has an outstanding court case still that is like, I think, a week or two after the deadline. So there are a lot of things like that that I think are not. But otherwise, like, I think he'd be probably worth a first round pick, pretty similar to what Terry was last week. So your your answer is kind of linked to my theory, which is the Phoenix Suns have very little assets, right? And Phoenix could not re-sign Miles probably in the summer because of that bird right situation you talked about. So they would be looking at Miles Bridges as a as a what half season rental, most likely. And for that reason, I completely understand. And I think I've seen trades proposed by I think Gerald and, and maybe like other people who cover the Suns saying this is what it could look like, you know, Nasir Little and some second round picks, two or three second round picks. Um and I think that's where like it's kind of emerged. Like these these people who are keyed in with the Suns are reporting that there's interest, and then they're suggesting what a trade could look like. So the people are putting two and two together. And and for Phoenix, I get that. For Utah and Detroit, they have a lot of cap space this summer. Like they can easily resign Miles Bridges. So for me, I don't see why they should hold the same like value for Miles Bridges. For me, they can be a they can put in a better bid because they aren't just trading from for a rental. They're trading from probably for the next four years. So he's worth a lot more to those people. Now I hear what you say. Miles has that no trade clause that he can basically waive. But equally if Miles says like I'm not waiving it for anywhere other than Phoenix because I want to go win a championship, which would go against what he said in the Charlotte Observer by the way, then I just don't think I trade him. I think I'd just be like, we're not going to do, like, if you want to be traded, we will trade you and we can trade you anywhere for half a season. And then if you want to go sign in Phoenix or go sign with a contender, you can do that as a free agent. But I would keep him and try and trade him like by a sign and trade in the summer. Or I think I'd even like prefer to like try and re-sign him. And then he like walks instead of getting like two second round picks from the Phoenix Suns. Like, I know it would be easy in hindsight to say, well, he should have taken the two seconds when he walks for nothing. But I just think there'd be other avenues, either re-signing him or signing trading him in the summer, which I would rather pursue. Um, And I don't think that's the case anyway. I mean, we'll get into these quotes from Miles in a little bit, but I just, I think the value around what I've seen reported around is probably lower than I think the reality in the Charlotte Hornets situation. 
Yeah, and especially because he is, after Terry, the guy that you would think that if they traded him, just looking at his box score production, his age, his salary, he would be the guy that they can get the most from and be able to extract some like real positive value from another team. But obviously, his situation has been muddied quite a bit over the last couple of years. But I mean, even still, he's back now. Like the NBA has already handed out whatever punishment that he's going to get, we assume, unless this next court case, another punishment is levied against him because of it. Look, like, just that on part's that, already over for another team. That, like, they from, don't have to deal with that. From what I've heard, um, nobody seems to be very worried about this right. February 20th court case, okay? Like, other teams, Miles Bridges himself, or the Charlotte Hornets. Um, I, I think that might come and go uh, with, with very little change. Yeah, and like... And I, that does add up because to this point, like you would think the NBA or the Hornets or Miles or whoever would have issued some sort of statement on it, which I don't really believe that they have to my knowledge. I know it's been a couple months since that first came out now, so I might be wrong, but I don't believe that they've acknowledged it in nearly as significant of a way that they did the first time back in June of 2022. So like the other, another team that's trading for him doesn't have to deal with any of that. Like, the Hornets already, you know, bit the bullet. Like he missed a year for them, and then another ten games to start this year. The team that gets him is just getting the basketball player Miles Bridges with, you know, eighty percent less of the off the court baggage as to what he had with the last year and a half with the Hornets. So yeah. there is at least that, which you would think would help kind of rebuild that value back to what it what it was two seasons ago, going into that off season when he was like a borderline All Star, but. Obviously, they're not going to get quite as much in a trade as they would have in that moment. Yeah. I, I will say with his statement to the Observer, and the, the second bit particularly, he wrote, and I'll just say it again, so as much talk as people hear that's going around, just know I want to stay with the Hornets. That does sound to me like a little bit like if I get traded, like it's not me who initiated it, it's the Charlotte Hornets. Do you not think that kind of is like trying to pass blame there a little bit in terms of it wasn't me, it's them? Oh, absolutely. Like 100%. I mean, and I, I mean, I kind of get it from his perspective. Like it, the fans are going to think that it was him because he has the no trade clause. And he, the team that trades him doesn't get his bird rights. He just sat out a year and a half after being involved in an extremely serious off the court legal situation. Like I think all the fans rightfully have the, have plenty of reason to think that he would have been the one that would initiate that just given his situation. But I mean, yeah, it seems like it was pretty clear that he was trying to spell it out. Like I'm willing to stay here. Like he directly said, like, I want to be a Charlotte Hornet, like almost verbatim. So it, you really can't spell it out any more than that. Like him being like, I want to be here, but if I'm not, it wasn't my fault. And this is a dangerous game you're playing if you're the team with that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he, he's unrestricted free agent with a no-trade clause. Like, you are creating friction, it feels right. Now, he's had to go to the Shell Observer to make his statement. He's not spoken to Hornets.com, no. He spoke to the Shell Observer, right? And I know Hornets.com wouldn't normally put that, but he could have released it by himself, like, but he's gone to a news outlet to do that. Um, and I, I do wonder if there's a little bit of, friction being created here between Miles and the new ownership group who maybe who maybe didn't aren't seeing things how they want to, right? And they are looking to move him. And I, I just hope that both sides can work collaboratively on trying to get something that doesn't end up that, you know, the Charlotte Hornets get massively screwed over. It, it feels like they're going to get a bit screwed over in the grand scheme of things no matter what. But, I mean... After Charlotte have just traded away Terry's ear, you know, one of what LaMelo calls the three amigos, if they were to move on from Miles a week later, LaMelo Ball, I mean, you just saw him in the Utah game. He was one unhappy guy sitting on the sidelines, right? Um, how worried should the team be about him being like unhappy that you're basically trading away his two best friends on the team? So I don't even think of it from that perspective though it definitely does have an impact especially for like a younger guy that that's really like all he's known is playing alongside those two but and this is something I really really don't think people give LaMelo enough credit for both Hornets fans and just the NBA community at large 
that dude really, really, really gives a shit about winning and being good and just not going out and having no hope to be successful or like leave an impact on the league. Like he wants to be good. He wants to be on a winning team that every night has a chance to play with the other players on the other teams that are as good as he is. Like LaMelo is the franchise cornerstone of this team. If you look at the franchise cornerstone of nearly any other team in the league, they have a, another really good player alongside them. And the Hornets might have that in Brandon Miller, but just not yet. And B they have some sort of stretch where they've been good already, like, and had sustainable success. Like Tyrese Halliburton's getting there right now. Anthony Edwards has been there. Obviously Boston, Milwaukee, Denver have, and Phoenix have been there with all of their young guys that have come up. LaMelo has not even gotten close to getting a taste of that. And when you trade away guys like Terry and miles, you are only putting that further away unless you pull off some absolute wizardry this offseason with your asset management and turn the team from a bottom like seller dweller into a legitimate top six playoff contender over the course of a couple months which is always possible but it would be very difficult and then you're just asking Lamelo if you don't do that to sit through another year of being pretty much terrible like they are right now and I I don't know if if he's going to be like too willing to do that. Like he's That's not old, is, but he's getting is older. Is he wired to, for it to get more painful in right. order for it to get better? Or or is the idea of being worse than it is right now? Is to, to like, how does that make him feel? And the, the thing is, I don't think they will speak to him about it. Nope, um, they will as not, far as they're aware, so like he's under contract for five years. They have all the power. Um, I... I I don't even know, like, if you should either. Like, I'm being really honest. Like, if I was running the team, as soon as you start speaking to your like key player, but you know, you're basically deciding what you do as a franchise direction due to like the personal feelings of a 22 year old. I just don't think that's how like you can run a sustainable organization. Uh, if you're LeBron James, right, it's a little bit different. But we are not talking at that level just yet. Um, so that that's definitely one of the things to keep into account and. I mean, even though Miles is a free agent in the summer, I, I kind of feel like really free agency is playing out right now. Like the team know exactly what Miles Bridges wants to get paid. All right. Before the summer, before sorry, before he came back from the qualifying offer in the summer, Jake Fish reported that Bridges was seeking upward of 25 million in average annual salary from the Hornets this July. Well, that's when he hadn't played in over a year. And that was, you know, now the cap is going up as well. So would you are would you agree that he's in a stronger position now to negotiate than he was then? Yeah, de definitely. And he's come back and shown that he's yeah. at least not going to be marginally worse, and he's at so, best like a pretty equal player to what he was yeah. when he first left. So I, I I agree. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about it like that, but I definitely agree that he's in an even better negotiating position than he was. Well, if I'm I've got Miles Bridges agent now, I'm saying well, if it was twenty five then. Now it's thirty, right? Yep. I can play in all the games. I'm not suspended anymore. Like I've come back and I've proven. Like so, you're talking about like Jeremy Grant is a good example. This past off season, he signed a five year, 160 million deal. Uh, that's average annual salary of 32 million per year. Miles Bridges is younger, arguably probably more productive offensively, not as good defensively. That is definitely the case, um, but. As a team that you are where the Charlotte Hornets are, and probably similar to almost where the Portland Trailblazers are, like, do you want to have a guy north of 30 million locked up long term for someone who doesn't automatically like raise the level of your team to like a competitive level of play? Because I don't think Miles does that. He's a good player, but he, he's not necessarily changed, I don't think, the ceiling of this team since coming back. Um that's the question the team are asking themselves right now. It's not a question for the summer because they have to, you know, have to make a decision now if they do want to make a trade. Uh, you know, where is that Maginot line for you? Like, of what would you be happy to re-sign Miles Bridges? Let's say free agency start tomorrow. You've seen what you've seen. What contract are you thinking? Yeah, I want to have Miles Bridges back for that. Oh boy, I mean, it's so tough too because. And like you said about him not being somebody that really raises your floor like that, on top of that, you've drafted Brandon Miller, right? Like probably to be your three. We've hoped that he could be a two, but right now you're probably going to pencil him in as your starting three. That means if you re-sign Miles, you're probably penciling him in as your starting four. 
And that is like a very limited team building structure. Also, See, I wouldn't like, do that. I, I would have Miles at the at the three, and I would go for Brandon at the two. Like in my okay. just to create the team bigger and like, but that's just me, right? Like, but I, I agree still with the fundamentals of what you said. Yeah. So yeah, like it, regardless, though, like you are kind of like locking yourself into like a certain roster building structure right there, and like a, being able to play a certain type of way. Like that core is not ever going to be strong defensively. So A, Mark has to get a lot better and more consistent. And B, you probably need that fifth guy that slots in with LaMelo, Mark, Brandon Miller, and Miles to be like a really, really strong defender, which again, just limits the amount of players or the types of players that you can slot into right there. So that on top of all of the other stuff affects what I would want to give him even more. But I mean, if you just kind of like look around the league, like not even players at that position necessarily, but like the free agents this coming up this offseason that are making like around $20 million. Joe Harris, obviously overpaid. Lonzo Ball got injured. And then there's guys like Bruce Brown, probably not as good as Miles, but doesn't have the same off-the-court baggage and has shown that he can impact a winning yeah. team in anywhere. many ways. Yeah. Right, he can fit anywhere. So it's like, are you going to pay him like one of those guys? which I think is probably more accurate in terms of his value. Or like you said, are you going to pay him like Jeremy Grant money because he's like a productive box score player and has asked for this salary before in a previous negotiation and has came back and only improved his standing to negotiate further. It's, it's honestly very tough. I would rather give him like something like what Bruce Brown makes. That's 22 and a half million rather than pay close to 30, which is what I think he'll want. And yeah. if it, if that, if it were me, like I would, just let him walk i think if he wanted like closer to jeremy grant money than like 18 to 20 million like like og ananobi just got traded and he has a player option he makes 18 million dollars like the knicks are getting a boon with what they're paying him right now like i don't think if you put miles in that situation the knicks are not 11 and 2 in their last 13 games so it's well, the I'm level of impact and salary are going to be a lot different i think for miles and you've got Utah and Detroit, who have both been reported, right, as interested, have both got north of 38 million this summer. Right. So they can just sign him like that. So I didn't see a world where Miles Bridges is like getting less than 28, 30 million. Yeah. So if you're of that opinion that this Charlotte Hornet should not pay that, um, then I do understand the idea of moving him now. But again, just that. The quote in the Charlotte Observer, I, I think it's like, yeah, I want to be in Charlotte. But what he's not said in that quote is, if I'm paid what I want to be paid, right? So he's trying to shift the blame here when just realistically, there is a lot of teams that would not want to pay Miles Bridges that money. Um, Utah and Detroit might be who that are, especially with his ties to you know being from Detroit and the situation there in panicking. Um, if those teams did trade now, I mean, I've tried to look through both Detroit, Utah, and Phoenix and what some trades would look like. Um, and and tell me which of these you think like sounds like it makes sense. So let's start with Detroit. I had kind of two options. Like you could do, depending if like their front office is just out on Jaden Ivey, who has, you know, had issues this year. The coaching obviously hasn't loved Jaden Ivey. You could just do Jaden Ivey for Mars Bridges straight up, right? As a swap. Swap deal. I don't think it's a great fit with Lamelo. It's a bit of a pet bet on the talent. It's the kind of trade that never really happens, but it was one. But other than that, the only other thing I could see is like James Wiseman in three seconds. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I don't love that, but again, it, it matches that criteria earlier of like just second round. It's picks over players. Like Wiseman expires this summer. Maybe Charlotte give have a look at him. You know, obviously with the big man injuries that they're having this year, but he's struggled everywhere he's been now like he's shown no real progress um do you think again like do you, do you like any of those detroit moves i would do the bridges for Jaden ivy swap in a heartbeat uh, i mean I, which is why i think it doesn't get done <laughs> right exactly yeah that's perfectly perfect evidence that it's probably not a plausible trade if the the two hornets podcast hosts are like yep let's do it right away but, I mean, on top of the fact that you get, like, an extra year, I believe, out of Jaden Ivey because uh, he was drafted more, or actually two years, I think, before you'll have to re-sign him. Yeah, I think he's a great fit next to LaMelo on court as, like, a downhill athletic scorer, reasonably 
good positional size and at least like an average defender or ceiling to be like an above average defender. I, I mean, I'd probably do the James Wiseman one too, honestly, like just for injury insurance at this point is essentially like an upgraded version of like what they would have gotten in Kai Jones had he spent the whole year with the team, like athletic rebounding, dunking big that is going to be off the books this coming summer. I mean, it's just, a, this bit, it's just this a different current, player in Wiseman than yeah. And this Jones current front office liked James Wiseman a lot heading into the draft. <laughs> yes. Like now, they, if he if he was there, he would have been a Charlotte Hornet. Like there, there's almost no yeah. question about it. Like <laughs> absolutely. Now, whether you know what having a backup center for the second half of the lost season means, I mean, I I don't know if there's any value right. there. But like, let's say he comes in and does well, maybe they look to resign him in the summer to a team friendly contract, and he's just you know looks at a a, a situation where he's happy. Maybe that happens, but you, you're basically doing that for the three second round picks. Um, for Utah. Um, I think this one makes more sense because I think there's a lot more ways to a deal. You can mm. go the Bryce Sensabar or Ochai Baji route as like young players. You can do salary filler with Taylor Horton Tucker. You can they've got a bunch of firsts from like the Lakers, Cleveland, and Minnesota. Like enough firsts that maybe they'd be willing to put one on the line. Like Detroit just doesn't have any picks. That's the issue with Detroit. Like they only have they're pretty pick poor. Um, so. Utah is the one that seems to make the most sense to me just because any like any of those combination of picks and players seems to make some sense. I agree. I think like unfortunately that's probably the least likely destination or at least I think the one that he's most likely to you know wave off on yeah. his no trade clause and say no I don't I don't want to go there because they're in a relatively similar situation to the Hornets and I can't imagine that that many NBA players are dying to move to Salt Lake City for four months at a time. But I would do that. Like that Bryce Sensabaugh one, I mean, as a big Bryce Sensabaugh top 10 guy last year, I would be more than enthusiastic about that one. Yeah, yeah the Taylor Horton Tucker, not 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 so much. Uh, that That's where like the roller coaster went up with Bryce Sensabaugh and then it went right back down when you said Taylor Horton Tucker. That one, like that's probably more realistic though, like taking on somebody that's maybe, you know, not as positively viewed among the NBA circles as they were a couple of years ago. That's now on like a more long-term contract and what they were as a player does no longer matches up with their yeah. salary slot. And he's so, an I mean, expiring. I, that's probably, yeah, this right. Exactly. He's an expiring. Whereas with Abaji and Sensabar, I talked earlier, mm -hmm. like picks over players, you're, you're, you're making it like, you're probably not getting a first then when you include one of them in, especially Bryce, yeah. right? Cause he's a recent first. So, and I just think in any deal, they would prefer to just get the pick rather than get the player because for the same reasons we talked about earlier. But it's it's possible. Like the value, I think, is equivalent there. Yeah, right. And then that just goes back to what we said too with like you're forcing players on a new staff in front office. Like you're essentially being like, if you don't like Bryce Sensabaugh and O'Shea Abaji, you have to trade them again or yeah. you just have to let them walk for nothing, which nobody wants to do. Really, either of those things, especially letting them walk for nothing. Yeah. Um, the Phoenix, we've already talked about it. Any trade, it's basically Nasir Little and a mixed bag of seconds. Like the 2024 Spurs second, you think is nice because it will be towards the top of the second round. But remember, the 2024 draft is pretty weak. So really, like compared to other years, it's probably like a mid-second in terms of value. Um Again, I think if I had to rank these teams in terms of where do I see most likely a deal getting done, I think I'd probably go like Utah first, then Detroit and then Phoenix. Even though, like I say, Miles might say, I'm not going to waive my no trade calls for anywhere other than Phoenix. If that happens, like I'd almost just say, then we'll take it into the offseason because then you can't go to Phoenix. Like it's it's impossible for them to do it cap from a cap perspective. You say to Miles, we will send you anywhere that gives us a first round pick, we will send like we will happily send you there. But that is our offer and we're not moving from that. Yeah. That's that's true. Cause then I because if that happens too, you almost have that gives you leverage, like in a way. Like even though he has the leverage with the the actual like no trade clause in practice like that that almost gives you leverage if he really wants to go to phoenix that bad you can be like okay then like 
why not just you know talk to your camp or whatever have them communicate with phoenix that they have to give us every available second round pick that they have like if you want to go there so bad if they want you so bad that's what will yeah. happen like then that, that actually kind of flips in your favor at that point but well then it's the, yeah, the Bradley I, Beal trade almost like rehashed, right? Which was a bunch yeah. of seconds and pick swaps, which is what ended up doing and and you know, but Bradley Beal was obviously under contract for longer, whereas Miles Bridges wasn't. And so but what other choice do the Suns have? They don't have many, right. many moves left to make. Mm. Yeah, they really have no way to build their team other than through trades like this, like taking on a player whose value and on-court production don't necessarily match up. <clears throat> it like, doesn't, doesn't make sense for them, though. Like, it's so short-termism. No. I, I know yeah, they'll yeah. win now, but it's literally win this year or else you lose all your seconds and Miles Bridges. I, I just don't yeah. understand how else, unless Miles Bridges is re-signing for, like, a way below market value contract, which he's not going to do. Um, it just makes no sense to me. I, I just don't understand this Phoenix-Miles link at all, other than... Matt Ishbia, the owner of the Phoenix Suns, is a Michigan State alum. Like that makes sense to me, but the rest of it, I just, I just don't get it. Yeah, I mean that that is easily the strongest argument in favor of making that deal. If you're the Suns, they just don't have anything to trade. Which, like, it kind of, again, if they win a championship, it doesn't matter. But it, it puts into question the strategy of team building that the Suns and many other teams in the past have kind of undertaken here. So, I mean, that I, I agree with you. They're probably the least likely team of those three to trade for miles purely because they just have no assets to trade. Like they, they don't have anything good to give up. Yeah. I wonder if some of this is Phoenix trying to make their knowledge public so that miles like requests to trade and says, I won't go anywhere other than Phoenix to, like you say, to try and use his leverage of, well, I know they're interested in me. Don't trade me to Utah or Detroit. I, I want to go to Phoenix. And that, that couldn't matter. Like I would understand in some ways, like Phoenix trying to do that because if miles didn't know they're interested, miles might be like, yeah, I'll go to Utah for half a year. Fine. Like, they, they'll be in the play-in or maybe the playoffs. That'll be interesting. So I think that's maybe what's happening here, and that's why we're hearing so much noise from the Phoenix side. Okay, moving on to our last part of the show. Um, before we do, I want to quickly tell you about the All Hornets t-shirt online store. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by allhornets.com, credential Charlotte Hornets media outlet, and Make sure you go check out our All Hornets store. It's in the link for the podcast description. We have our own logo t-shirts. We have some quotable collections, which you'll be able to see on there. Go on there, grab yourself a t-shirt. Um, all the money goes back into helping the show. So we appreciate your time. Um, Chase, I asked you to come with one mock trade. Locked, loaded, ready to go. Your favorite one ahead of the deadline. Fire away. So we're going to be talking a lot about the Pistons on this episode, but the deal that I came with actually does not feature anybody that we have talked about previously oh. other than one Miles Bridges. This trade for uh, between the Hornets and Pistons sends Miles Bridges and Nick Richards to the Detroit Pistons in exchange for Isaiah Stewart and Marcus Sasser. No picks, just a direct two players for two player swap. I really like this one. Like I Isaiah Stewart to me is becoming a very real like spacing big man and something that I have wanted to see for a long time since LaMelo broke into the NBA is him playing with a legit shooting big. Like PJ Washington is a stretch four, Isaiah Stewart is a five that can shoot for threes from above the break. He takes almost all of his threes at the top of the key. And this year, especially, he is having like a resurgence or not a resurgence. He's like emerging as a like real like volume shooter at the five spot. And the biggest reason for that is taking corner threes. His first couple of years, he took a total of nine corner threes and he was one for nine. This year alone, he's 18 of 47 on corner threes. Pretty much only shoots pick and pops from the top of the key or relocates and spaces out to the corner. He hits at a high rate from all of those spots, 37% non-corner three, 38% from the corner. Real threat to shoot, and Lamella's never played with a guy like that. Obviously, Marcus Sasser solves the backup point guard problem is in his first year of his career, so 
you're going to be paying him like less than $3 million for the next three years as a late first round pick would just fill that backup point guard hole permanently or not permanently, but long-term immediately. And you wouldn't have to sign or spend much money there. So swapping out miles and Nick, two guys that I think are valuable players and are good right now, but are also not necessarily guys that you need to keep around for the long term and can extract some value from if you felt that was the best course of action. And here, I think that is a very, very good trade uh, for doing so. And obviously, you get off of miles and have that free agency problem is no longer your problem. And it's solely on Detroit at that point. And you get two guys that are signed long term and can be real rotation players for you. Okay. I didn't think I'd love it. And I think this is the reason why. I'm just not an Isaiah Stewart guy. Um, I know what all the percentages say, but I watch the Pistons play and every team loves when Isaiah Stewart takes that three. And are almost kind of like gearing their offense to be like, sure, Isaiah Stewart, you go shoot those threes. Like he has a really slow release. He only shoots them when he's really wide open. Um, so I think like his gravity as a three-point shooter is a little bit less than than that. And like also just defensively, I just haven't ever felt he's an impact maker there. He's like tough and he's physical, so he ticks that box. I agree with that. And he can obviously space more so, but like just kind of feel like you're trading for a, maybe like a better rebounding version, but a worse scorer than PJ Washington. And like he signed, I think, for a 15 mil per year for like an upcoming four-year contract extension. That like jams up your bucks a little bit. I just feel like then you're I know you could move Washington anyway, but I like I, I really like Marcus Sasser. Don't get me wrong. He's a, you know, for me, that's like first round pick value you're getting there. But obviously you're higher on Stewart than I am. And for that reason, again, I've talked about the picks over players thing, and I'm just not a big Isaiah Stewart guy. So I can understand what you're wanting to do at shooting, at toughness. Uh, I can see it. Um, but I, I would not like this trade. And I think the team would be unlikely to make it simply because of adding guaranteed salary for two salary slots for the next four years, basically, by making this deal feels would be a bit of a risk by this outgoing front office. No, I, I totally agree. It's, it doesn't necessarily line up with what I think that they will do. But if I were, mm -hmm. you know, in charge and could. Yeah, if you were new, new GM in place. This would this. Yeah, right. Like this would definitely be one of those things like to me. Nick makes five million dollars. Isaiah Stewart makes fifteen. I like I'm genuinely think as well. I wouldn't even do this for Mars Bridges straight up. I'm not really. Yeah, I'll, I'm, I think that yeah, maybe I think this is probably just because we have much different valuations of the players. Oh, absolutely, that's, that's part of the game. But yeah. I personally like. I think that ten million dollar increase in salary between Nick and Isaiah Stewart is worth it. Like, I I just don't think Nick long term especially when mark comes back and is somebody that hopefully is playing like 30 minutes a game like i just don't think you're getting enough out of that spot in the rotation or like enough versatility out of that spot as you could or as you may need going forward especially if you're re-signing many of the players that are still here now like i think isaiah stewart's physicality spacing i, I probably like his defense a little bit better than you do the rebounding especially is going to be a huge thing like I just think that's a better fit and just gives the Hornets more versatility going forward than like having two seven foot run and dunk bigs that don't switch, don't shoot, don't pass, don't dribble. Well, he's only played 30% of his minutes at center this year. Yes. That, well, see, that, that is, that is true. He's been playing a lot of four with Detroit, which I think is, would help even further. He wouldn't have to be a four and because Detroit has like their roster is like 75% centers so i think yeah. he would be like purely a five on pretty much any other team but detroit has jalen duran had marvin bagger had marvin bagley they still have uh james wiseman, wiseman. yeah donilo gallinari mike muscala like they literally have like 50 percent of their roster as centers so i think part of that is due to him being kind of pigeonholed there but maybe that's why he's shooting more like it's because as a four you need the space and it's kind of just it will be, yeah. Maybe no, no, added no, no, like no. another layer to his game where now as There's a five, he's like a legit you, you don't get centers hanging out in the corner, right? No, which is that, where, that, that's not. why his three-point shooting from the corner is improved this year. Okay. Um, my trade. 
And I, I've I've stolen this one from a, an upcoming Stinger episode I have covering the Oklahoma City Thunder, which will be out some point this week before the trade deadline. Um, Gordon Hayward is getting traded. Thank the Lord. Uh, Gordon Hayward and Ish Smith to Oklahoma City in return for Davis Batons, who is 17 million per year, and he is next year too, but only 5 million of that's guaranteed. So you can waive him in the summer, essentially pay him 5 million. So he's not quite an expiring, but he's not taking bad money on for next year. He's kind of somewhere in the middle. Um, Alexei Pokusevsky, he's an expiring 5 million per year, just in here simply for salary matching purposes, as is Trey Mann. Although he's actually got two years left in his contract, and there's a little bit of duplication between Trey Mann and Nick Smith Jr. as like kind of undersized two guards um, who like to do a lot of pull-up shooting. So it's it's not a talent play here. But for me, the other thing you're getting with this deal is two second-round picks. 2025 second-round pick via Atlanta, 2026 second-round pick via Golden State. You give Oklahoma City one of the youngest teams who've got a chance to win it all this year. Two veteran players, Ish Smith, championship DNA last year with Denver, was a great role model on that team, can go and do that again with Oklahoma City. You give them Gordon Hayward, a skilled wing scorer who can like really play in the half court when things grind down and slow down in the playoffs, and gives them some real playoff experience to a team that lacks it, but is obviously incredibly talented. And they didn't give up a single not even a first round pick or a single rotation player at the moment. And they're able to massively upgrade with that Gordon Hayward position and that Ish Smith in that, in that role. For me, like the only reason this wouldn't happen is if Oklahoma City find like a better player to use that Davis Bertans contract on. Right. So that is the only way that I don't think this makes sense for both teams. What do you think? It's an, easy, like it's an easy sell for the Hornets fans, right? Because right. you're giving away expirings for picks. I, like, it's hard not to like this for the Charlotte Hornets, but I guess my question isn't what do you think? It's do you think this is realistic? I definitely think it's realistic because I think, like, if you, like you said, the caveat that the Thunder can't find, like, a better option to move that Davis Bertans contract, I kind of think there's a way you could get a first-round pick out of them for that. The Thunder in this upcoming draft already have five draft picks. They do. Like they have to move off of those at some point. They don't have the roster space to draft five rookies, three of or three of those which would be first round picks. Or they have four draft picks in 2024. Three of them would be first round picks. They don't have the roster space to add three guaranteed contracts and then one second round player. So you kind of like would be able to just be like, why don't we just take this pick off your hands? You get a half season rental of Gordon Hayward, you get off the Davis Bertans contract, which is two years, 17 million. You get two ro roster spaces open next year for either for new players that you want to sign off the market or to replace them with more rookie contract guys. Yeah. Like you're doing them many favors here, like giving them a good player, relieving their salary books, giving them more roster space to work with. They still get like, re they still have like, re retain much of their pick value. Like you wouldn't have to trade like, you know, that, 2025 Miami pick that's protected like the 2027 pick from Denver and the Clippers like those could be really valuable down the road because these teams are good now not in 2027 like if you ask for their 2024 Utah pick that's protected one through 10 like probably going to land like between 11 and 18 or so like that's not an overly valuable pick I feel like you could definitely get that for what you're giving them in that regard and like that's a very specific scenario but because Gordon Hayward otherwise is not going to fetch a first round pick. But if a team like the Thunder, I really think there's a way to like extract that. Even if it may seem like overvaluing him, there's a, yeah. I think there's a way to do it. I mean, just having a first for Gordon Hayward, an injured Gordon Hayward at that just seems, it just seemed, would seem a little bit too good to be true. I, so I completely to agree. A little bit more realistic, but. They like you could say that with any Thunder trade. You've got enough first, just make it a first. <laughs> right. Any any deal you want to make, you can make that argument. So um yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there, there are also ways where you could like do a PJ Washington in this. So you take out you take out Poku and Man and you just do PJ for Bertons 
and then maybe you do a first then. So then you're adding like, you know, not just a good player for this year, but someone who's under contract going forward on a declining contract who can fit in as like a stretch four as well and can play some small ball center. That's another option as you can do this shit. There's, there's some interesting, I think, machinations in terms of the OKC and Charlotte as trade partners. And you never hear from the Thunder as like leaking trade stuff. So you don't think, oh, well, we've not heard the Thunder being interested. They generally do make a small upgrade at the deadline doing something. And I think the Charlotte Hornets make sense as a, as a good trade partner for them. Okay. Well, I think that's everything for the show for this week, Chase. Um, we will be back next week. We're not quite sure when yet. We, we might be recording on Monday, but then if we publish Tuesday, then it's going to be out of date very quickly because that's the trade deadline day. So we're not sure what we're doing, but we're going to be back uh, talking post-trade deadline um, very, very shortly. Uh, make sure you stay with us. Should be an interesting time. Could be a lot more changes coming to the Charlotte Hornets roster and um, I can't wait because right now this team are they're just not playing hard <laughs> because I think half the team thinks they're not going to be here in a week um, and they're only human and that's the kind of stuff that happens. So Chase, thanks for joining me today. Um, good talking to you and we will speak next week at some point. Pleasure as always. Thank you everybody for listening. 